the four-part podcast series highlighting innovative circular solutions led by women changemakers transforming the fashion industry for people and planet. Bluecast by Tencel is a podcast series created on Carved in Blue by the Tencel Denim team, sharing in-depth talks to the denim community at large and the Fashion Impact Fund, a charitable fund supporting women changemakers to accelerate the fashion industry's transition to an ecosystem that values planet and people. We've collaborated on this special edition four-part podcast series called Circular Solutionist to raise the awareness of women's involvement in driving solutions systems change to reduce, reuse, and recycle. As we face an industry evolution to keep garments and materials in circulation, we can reduce the 50 million tons of textile and apparel waste going to landfill every year. Each week for the month of October, Circular Solutionists will spotlight the innovative solutions led by women social changemakers advocating for a new paradigm in the fashion sector, one that leads towards a fair and resilient world. Circular Solutionists will feature women in the fashion and denim industry who are making an impact and forging a new path. Those who are connecting their life's work to planet, people, and prosperity and giving us hope towards a positive change. Thank you, Tricia. I'm Kerry Vanigan, Executive Director of the Fashion Impact Fund. This series centers the voices and amplifies the leadership of women trailblazing circular solutions. Join us to hear from these women that reimagine the future, advance effective system change, and drive collaborative sector engagement. We look forward to this series of discussions on Bluecast by Tencel to highlight women in the denim industry or supporting the efforts. No effort is too small. It is building each season, each collection, each connection to make progress. Each are circular solutionists. It never really made sense to throw away textiles. One person's trash is someone else's treasure. After all, we have learned there really is not in a way. But how do we connect the right people in the right place for these unused textiles? Reverse Resources builds networks for textile waste to find the best recycling opportunities and build circularity for fashion. Joining us today is Nin Castle, the co-founder of Reverse Resources, a SaaS platform for the fashion industry that enables mapping, matchmaking, and tracking of textile waste from source to recycling, closing the loop of material flows. With extensive experience in working with pre-consumer and post-industrial textile waste since 2006, NIN runs Reverse Resources International Programs, collaborating with NGOs, brands, manufacturers, waste handlers, and recyclers across Europe, Asia, and North Africa. Finally, NIN leads the Reverse Resources Recyclers Network, matching textile waste streams with the best possible recycling solutions. Welcome, NIN. Great to see you and uh, have this chance to chat. Thanks, Tricia. Pleasure to be here. Great intro. Thank you. It's been, yeah, it's been a while since we first met and, you know, I, I keep track. I, I put dates on my contacts and when I looked back, we first met at a conference in 2006 so that goes back uh, a bit of a ways. So tell us more about your work and how long you've been doing this. 
Well, I uh, recently uh, worked out that I've almost been working in textile waste for, for 20 years, like 19 years, I think it was. Um, I studied uh, fashion design back in the uh, late 1990s, early 2000s, really when sort of fast fashion emerged and uh, we started seeing this increase in, in consumption. Um, and uh, that was really when I first started getting interested in textile waste. I started working in, you know, like a, in like on the conveyor belt of post-consumer sorters and collectors. Um, so I've worked really with textile waste from many different perspectives and over the years began to realize how important it is to have data on waste um, and also how important it is to have sort of systems in place to organize, standardize and sort of categorize waste to really build efficient supply chains and enable waste to be reused and, and recycled. Um, so yeah, this is kind of my journey to, to starting up or joining and so I'm ran set, set up reverse resources and I joined shortly afterwards after a year or so that she came up with the initial idea um, and we've been working together ever since. Interesting. Tell us more of how the platform actually works. It's matchmaking. How do you connect the people? What is it? How does that work online? Well, the tools itself, uh, the software as a service platform tools itself uh, uh, are fairly simple. It's more the application that is and the network that is the innovative part of the of the company. Um, on a day-to-day -day basis, what we do as a company is we work with, when it's post-industrial waste, for example, we work with the manufacturers uh, or spinners or, or, or any, you know, supplier of, uh, of textile and garments. And we help them understand uh, how much waste they're creating and also what is the recycling potential of their waste. So what is recyclable today? What could we recycle in the near, in the near future? Um, and we help them segregate that recyclable waste. Um, and we also do some basic training in, in how to improve waste handling practices because typically waste is handled as waste. But now with new emerging recycling technologies, waste is no longer waste, it's actually resource. And so it needs to be handled accordingly. Um, and it's really simple things like don't have, don't, if it's a cutting room, for example, Rather than sweeping the the cutting scraps from the onto the from the table to the floor, because that conducts a lot of dust, a lot of contamination when it's been on the floor, but actually just putting it straight into a bin. When you've finished cutting one fabric, even if the bin is half full, you close the bin and you put a label on it. And just that really simple process has a huge benefit further down the line for reducing the contamination and enabling the traceability of textile waste. Um, we also, so we have like online inventory tools for people to enter their waste data. And then we also work with, uh, waste handlers, compliance in the waste handling sector, um, and embed traceability through our recycle, our waste handling partners processes, and then also down to the recycler. So the recycler, uh, accepts that textile and we can prove that that textile has actually gone to recycling. Interesting. It's amazing. That's just those small steps that can make a difference. And do mm -hmm. you wind up doing education then for factories? How do you explain this? 
I mean, it's very simple. So once a factory has been explained why this is beneficial, they have a lot more high, more, more complex procedures to carry out in their in their uh, organizations in their facilities. This actually, as soon as they understand the value and the potential of this, it's fairly simple to implement. Um, it's not something that we have any factories set up the segregation and then said, oh no, this is too time consuming. It reduces efficiencies. It's just a willingness and, um, and uh, an understanding of the value. And also if there's an opportunity for them to uh, earn slightly more for that segregated textile waste, that of course uh, helps. Yeah. What are some of your metrics of how much waste you've been able to match? Um, do you have any any numbers around your impact? Yes. Yeah, so we actually have on our website, we're developing a public dashboard um, and we see a really big part of the work that we do. We see a real need for us to start to communicate the data we're collecting on an aggregated level um, so that different stakeholders, whether that's recyclers, whether that's public, uh, private sector, um, to understand how much waste there is, where it is, what it is. And this is the type of data that we're really beginning now to gather at scale. We are now tracing, I think, around 300 tons a month of textile waste through the platform. So it's still early days, but we would expect that to increase dramatically in the coming uh, four to six months because we have a couple of big projects um, underway where we're really beginning to scale out. That's great. So I see your dashboard has 51 recyclers, 19 waste handlers, and 945 manufacturers. It's great to see what you're doing. Yeah, the 900 factory manufacturers is companies that we've either profiled and mapped on the platform recently or who are actively tracing waste from. That's great. We talk about this as circularity is really a, a team sport. Um, we talk about this in Accelerating Circularity with Carla Magruder, a, a group that I'm involved in. How do you view collaboration within your business? I think when you talk about circular supply chains, what goes around comes around, which is a very different uh, approach than a linear supply chain where typically you only really need to deal with the stakeholders in front of you or behind you in that linear supply chain. Um, and it's, it's a cultural shift that needs to happen for organizations to understand that the activities, the actions that they have have consequences further around the supply chain and perhaps even back to them <laughs> second time around, you know, the next time that fiber uh, travels around the circular supply chain. Examples of this would be, for example, uh, designing for circularity at the very beginning. Um, but also, for example, I often talk to brands and I say that they actually have two functions in a circular supply chain um, and they need to sort of wear two hats, if you like. One hat they're wearing pretty well because they are showing and uh, demonstrating demand for recycled fibers and yarns, which is fantastic. And they are beginning to you know, invest in these recycling technologies, which is a very good signal to other investors and, and the wider industry and sort of communities. Um, so the demand side is being the range for improvement, but it's been fairly well uh, worn, you could say. But there's another hat that brands are not wearing so well, and that is, in a way, um, 
the role of uh, helping to organize uh, and make the waste that they are producing more recyclable. And this is a really important hat to wear because if we don't start organizing the textile waste, then the recyclers are simply not going to be able to access the volume of, of uh, textile waste that they need uh, that meets their specification. And there won't be any recycled fibers for the brands to buy. So we, all of these organizations have multiple uh, roles in a circular supply chain. And the core of the reverse resources platform is about connecting stakeholders um, in one place so we can do business easier uh, and better and not have to rely on a lot of uh, email, you know, communication and to really speed things up uh, and scale fast. Yeah. Scaling is only going to happen if we design into circularity. And it's not just the retailers and brands that you're involved in. You're doing a lot of other projects too with industry associations. Can mm -hmm. you talk more about that? Yeah, so we... Um, we're getting more and more uh, uh, relations with different uh, industrial associations and federations. Um, we did a lot of work with BGMEA as part of the Circular Fashion Partnership project uh, last year that was run with the Global Fashion Agenda. Um, um, we see a lot of the local federations very interested now in understanding uh, how much waste they have in their region because of then they can start attracting recycling technologies or understanding what, what type of recycling technologies would be useful to have uh, in their landscape um, because they know that that's gonna be uh, a big draw for orders and increased you know, uh, industry in the future for them. And now is the moment to move forward with. We've, also got a really good relationship um, growing with APC in India um, as part of the work we're doing with Fashion for Good for the Sorting for Circularity India project. So, and also North Africa as well. So it's it's an exciting time. Yeah, very exciting time. Um, and I think you have such a unique perspective because you're really bridging a lot of East and West. Do you feel that there's a difference in the mentality of how we're addressing circularity between what you see happening in the East and, and what's in the West? I think there is, yes, there's a better understanding of circularity in, in, in the West. Um, I think that um, there is a tendency to, in a lot of, textile and garment producing countries to say we are using reusing or recycling to various different use cases the textile waste is being created um, however the volume there's, there's there's use case for most types of textile waste the question is how big an industry and use case is there according to in comparison to the volume of waste that there is generated um, and what is the big um, value add or the sort of valorization part of textile waste is how to increase the value of the weight textile waste. So rather than it going to a very low end or low value uh, recycling use case, it's really important to bring it up the, the value chain uh, and 
convert it into a recycled fiber that's suitable for a sort of apparel product, you're going to benefit the wider industry a lot, lot more than a sort of an existing downcycling use case. And I think that's something that a lot of the federations and associations are now really beginning to understand that that's a huge sort of economic um, benefit to circularity and getting more recycling technologies, uh, you know, locally. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And getting the most value out of the waste, you know, yeah. I mean, we say the term waste, we mean really the asset that it is um, mm-hmm. and, and where we can bring that forward. It's also interesting, Nan, in your business, um, you know, you, you're, you have a, a co-founder who is also female. Um, mm-hmm. Do you see more women taking leadership roles within circularity? In sometimes we, yes, I think there is a tendency for this era of the industry to be fairly female-led, actually. Uh, here we are, uh, two women talking about it. Um, in the projects and the global projects that we run, there's definitely a very strong female voice in these projects. Um, however, when you start working more in the operations, it then transforms to be more of a male environment. So it's quite interesting. I often know what my meeting topic is about from the number of female or male, uh, (laughs) you know, people are in the meeting. So, yeah. It is interesting, right? And the level of participation of of females uh, within this. Um, I'm not sure if there's exactly a reason, but definitely women are gravitating towards it and looking at the future and changes that need to happen. Um, So we'll have to keep an eye on that. How do you incorporate the sustainable development goals, the 17 SDGs into the work that you're doing and which ones in particular? I don't think we really tried to integrate them because of we are such an impact focused company. That was why we built uh, the company in the first place. Um, It's of course useful to refer to them when we're talking to brands and different companies so they can understand what the benefits um, of what we do are in relation to the SDGs. I think one area that is very overlooked in terms of uh, circularity is a word that gets banded out a lot is inclusivity and circularity. Um, But for me, a big elephant in the room is uh, the social compliance and the waste handling sector. Um, There are simply, especially in Asia, not enough compliant waste handlers to fulfill the needs of the recyclers. And the recyclers are having to sign the you know, codes of conduct of their brand partners. And how can they you know, scale if there's not enough access to the waste and compliant waste handlers who they can source this textile through? Um, and we all, people often say you know, about the working conditions of factory workers, whereas the working conditions of a typical waste uh, worker is far lower. And there's a huge amount of work to do in this waste handling sector. Um, so this is something that doesn't really have a specific benefit to, you know, but it's such a crucial part of the supply chain um, and something that we are 
increasingly working on and, and looking to set up a couple of projects around this. We're developing a universal uh, code of conduct where we're getting verified by different recyclers and different brands to say, yes, this is um, a good uh, compliance document for us. And then we are working with um, understanding what would be the, the, you know, the really critical uh, elements of that that any waste handler would need to comply with. Um, but then really having a B Corp approach to say you don't have to be perfect to start working in the network, but you have got to show a willingness to improve. And the challenge for us now is trying to identify a good timeline, a fair timeline for a waste handler to, to formalize and improve their compliance um, so they can be part of these sort of formal supply chains um, and can enjoy, you know, um, take advantage of these of this new industry. Yeah, I mean, circularity is only going to happen if we put people at the center of it. Uh, so, you know, this this mix between the environment and the social side from SDG 12, responsible consumption yeah. and production, um, to SDG 1, which is for no poverty, and SDG 5, gender equality. I think these are all kind of mixing together as we mm. look at the evolution that's happening, for sure. And there's a lot of um, women so in the handling sector as well. A lot of women. Yes. Yeah. A sorting. lot of women and... Right, and for fair wages and uh, working conditions, as you mentioned. So we're coming to the close of our conversation and we do a final five fast fire here. Mm -hmm. um, so some short answers to our questions to give us a little more insight on you. Um, many of our listeners are from the denim community and we always are talking about the art and craft behind denim uh, and the heritage that it brings. What is the oldest denim garment in your wardrobe? Ooh. Um... I have a pair of Laureac Mendian, which is a Spanish brand um, jeans that I brought and they're, they're a bit tight on me and they're surprisingly really lasted a long time and they're yet to rip. Um, and I can still <laughs> squeeze myself into them. Which, um, and I've had them for a very long time. My husband has a pair of Howie's jeans that are still black and still wow. no tears and he's had them for I think we started going out he's probably had them for I don't know he's easily had them for like eight nine years and they still look really good um so That's yeah great. Howie's does a good job for that you're attesting to the durability of denim um <laughs> what song is most played on your playlist do you have a favorite oh I think that's hard because that changes uh, a lot. Um, I think Etta James and, and any sort of soul music is something that I'm always quite drawn to. I, I did have a bit of a hard week last week because my mom had a bit of a fall and uh, I had to spend some time in hospital and at uh, Destiny's Child's Survivor came on the radio once. So I must admit last week with quite a work and family at the same time. I used that song a couple of times, it was helpful. <laughs> Yeah, never go wrong with Destiny's Child. Yeah, and and since you're across Asia as well as in Europe, what is your favorite city to visit? Um, I now live in Spain because my husband's Spanish, but I lived many years in London. So going back to London and see my 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 friends, and uh, that's always my favorite city to go to. That's good. That's home. And what person, alive or deceased, would you want to go to dinner with? 
Ooh. Um, um, we spend quite a lot of time having quite a deep, uh, sometimes depressing conversations around how there is not enough movement as quickly as we need it, um, which can be a little bit disheartening to say the least at times you feel a little bit desperate so if I was going for dinner with somebody anybody I would probably choose like a comedian like Bill Hicks somebody who could pretty make me laugh because <laughs> you've got to keep your sense of humor sometimes for sure need to keep a sense of humor and the final yeah. question is what does Carpton Blue mean to you uh, I think it, uh, for me, makes me think of uh, oceans and uh, and our planet, really. Um, I know it probably has connotations to denim, but that was the first uh, thing that came to my mind. That's great. Well, thank you, Nin, for this conversation today. And if people want to reach out to you, how can they connect? Um, you can write to info at reverseresources.net. And uh, yeah, any brands, any manufacturers, any recyclers, please do get in touch. We are very willing to include anybody into our network. Thank you so much, Nin. Look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you to our listeners. If you enjoyed this conversation, please check out our other episodes. Subscribe to Bluecast, like and review us. To discover more of our stories, you can follow our blog, parkedinblue.com, or feel free to reach out to us directly at denim at lensing.com.